1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Anne Ahola Ward. She's the CEO of Veritoken, an author and futurist who has been dubbed the mother of startups by CNN. Anne, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've known who you are for a while now, but maybe before we get into what you're doing today, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Sure. Sure. Sure, I am a Canadian born, okay. but I grew up in the great state of Texas, okay. Where in Canada were you born? I was born in Toronto, okay. and then, when I was very, very young, we moved to Calgary and then we moved to Houston when I was seven.
1: Okay, very cool. I'm actually born and raised and still live actually in Edmonton, so about three hours north of Oh uh, I, yeah, I detected
0: it <laughs> I detected a hint of the Canadian <laughs> in there I figured
1: you usually other Canadians can tell right.
0: <laughs> Yes, yes, but I didn't call it out because, you so know, I, I, a- I, I, I figured we'd get to it. But, right. yeah, I, I absolutely, I've, I always love speaking with other Canadians.
1: No, very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why?
0: So I went to the University of Texas in Austin, and I had already started uh, the start. I was there in Austin at the start of the the height of the startup boom. Okay. So the the dot-com boom, and so I was a developer by night. I was a web developer and DBA, and I did a bunch of other jobs. And I just, what I was doing at work did not reflect what was being taught in computer science. So it was behind. So I just took anthropology because my parents said, you know, you should study what's interesting to you don't study what you think you should do as a trade necessarily. Go, go get educated, go follow what you find interesting. And so that's what I did. So I studied anthropology with a minor in business and, um, which I used to always say in interviews, monkey business. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, but anthropology gave me a very solid foundation for what I would use later in marketing. So, um, you know development to me i wasn't sure what i was doing with it but it was like the most exciting thing at the time and and so school you know there was no school for what i would later then do it just didn't exist yet that kind of a course sure so
1: you get out of school walk me through your journey with some career highlights along the way to what you're doing today
0: Sure, sure. So I had various jobs doing development, a little bit of design, and I, you know, was sort of, I think I was okay at it. I don't know that I was the greatest developer ever. I can be honest about that. (laughs) Um, But the turning point for my career um, was when I landed a job at Apple. Okay. I had, um, yeah, so I worked in tech support. One of my jobs in college was tech support. And I took that job seriously, even though it was, you know, not a real job to me. I treated it as one. And, uh, I was there when OS nine and, uh, OS 10 launched. Sure. And so I created a, I wrote a little JavaScript that disabled the launch of the classic environment because all the tech support people were so annoyed by it because it would just freeze your computer. It was like a weird, awkward transitional time. Okay. And so <clears throat> I, pass this around, and, and so this one department got it, I had no idea, and so years later, when I went in to interview, they are like, oh yeah, you're that girl that wrote that JavaScript, that was so cool, everybody <laughs> used it. And so by taking a not really very serious job seriously and adding value, it completely was a rocket ship ride for my career because, Apple was where I realized I'm not the person that builds the pages anymore. I'm the person who's figuring out what's on them and why and measuring. And, you know, this is where I I became fascinated with analytics. Just think of the data that Apple has, right? Like you could look at information that was so powerful. And so I realized there was this whole other world and uh, got into internet marketing early. And so I just sort of, kept in what my parents always said, which is follow what interests you. So then that morphed into SEO. So first few jobs after Apple, you know, there may be one or two more. And then the uh, my husband and I moved to New York and the economy collapsed. Okay. And around 2008, 2009, and I had a, a mentor um, say to me, you know, my husband and I both lost our jobs within a week of each other. and wow. She said, you know, you know, with your skills, I think you do really well on your own. Okay. You know, you keep, go- you keep going into these jobs and you keep going into these departments and you keep turning around these companies and training the staff. And then they let you go because they're like, well, we don't need you anymore. You know, you keep building these programs and then, you know, why don't you just do that for yourself? And she really got through to me, and and that was the last that I ever had traditional salary job. I, I went out on my own after that. Because I was like, you know what? You're right. I can take these sh- skills on the road, and I did. And, and that was, you know, 10 years ago.
1: That's very cool. So walk me through the last 10 years up until Veritoken, and then let's dive into that.
0: Sure, sure. So after the economy collapsed, we wanted to get out of that sort of I and mean, everything was gray it was like the world didn't have color in it anymore it was okay. it was. i don't know how to just i don't know how to describe it but we just knew we had to get out of new york so we landed in california which is where one goes as, as a tech person and i sure. you know we kind of figured kind of figured that would be where you know um innovation would be happening and we were right. (laughs) And we've, we've been in Cal, we've been in California ever since. And so in Silicon Valley, um, and so I started, you know, kind of going into companies as a consultant and, you know, basically helping CMOs govern what's going on in their department, because a lot of CMOs just weren't trained, in the ways of internet marketing, SEO, PPC, all of these things, they were emerging. And so people really didn't know how to manage it. And so I went in as a, I kind of started as a cleanup person where I go in and interview staff, figure out who's doing the the job. And then I kind of thought, okay, well, this is negative. So I ended up becoming the person who built a team. Um, So I quickly realized I couldn't do it alone anymore. So I built a team and started an agency with a, a partner Back in 2009, uh, yeah. which is my agency's circle CircleClick, which still continues to run and is actually uh, thriving. Really? Um, and I kind of became this person who built a team of just, I found that most startups, if they're lucky, have a developer who will kind of update their website for them or will help them if they need something. And so what I found is that my most effective method of doing SEO was bringing in the team that could execute. And so I've had some terrific gains over the years. I mean, I've worked with Twilio, Heroku, HP, like nice. all sorts of, yeah,
1: all the big you know, names.
0: household brands. Yeah. 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 And, and because I have figured out, you know, a path to scalable growth for online marketing, you know, that opened a lot of doors for me. That brought me a lot of success because I was part of everyone else's success. And so it really was a thrill ride for a long time. Um, and then things kind of changed when O'Reilly approached me about writing uh, an SEO book, which was a dream come true for me because I got my foundation in tech from reading O'Reilly books. Sure.
1: I think, well, most people so, did, right, in the early days. Oh, well, yeah. And still do, to be fair. Oh, yeah. They still do. But they were yes. the. Literally the first people doing it, in my opinion, anyway. And I think a lot of people credit their whole career to them, right?
0: (laughs) Well, absolutely, absolutely. I um, unfortunately had to have a back surgery in college, and I was on my back for a couple months recovering. And I read those books. Yeah. And instead of got tired of watching soap operas, and so I was like, I got to do something with my brain here. And there, there it was, and there I started coding, and there I taught myself, you know, more about design, and, and that parlayed itself into the most powerful career move I could have made for myself because I used O'Reilly books as a tool, which is what they were meant for, sure. and so my first actual coding job years ago was converting O'Reilly books from PageMaker to HTML. Oh, so it's like I had a his. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, it was a great idea, but the hardware was too, people were still using CRT monitors. That was too mm-hmm. early. Um, you know, we didn't have slick tablets back in right. 2000. <laughs> no, fair enough. But anyway, No, <laughs> but anyway, that's really so, cool. yeah. So writing the book was really where, you know, the, the, another shift happened for me because it felt like, okay, I've got a conclusion point here. I, I, I have, shared all my secrets I have published my playbook and it just kind of and that's when consulting started to feel like not enough for me anymore and so yeah so that's that kind of felt like a conclusion right writing a book putting all your stuff out there I mean SEO is always changing web marketing is always changing the landscape is a constant um, you know revs of innovation and that's why I love it but at the same time You know, I'd been doing it so long, I was like, okay, is this what I want to do? And so that's sort of where things shifted for me. And I decided, I want to, I think I'm going to start going into these startups.
1: Interesting. No, fair (laughs) enough.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that's where the shift happened, I'd say, two, three years ago.
1: Okay. So walk me through how you came up with the idea for Veritoken and what exactly is it?
0: Well, great question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Veritoken really truly is born out of the desire to revisit the idea that we just have to blindly hand over everything we have to these centralized services, the Facebook, Googles, Twitters of the world. And I have always been one of those people that rejects what they're told if it doesn't make sense or if it, you know, I feel like it's at someone's detriment and I feel like as consumers our addictions to all these social media services and, you know, these hosted solutions are sort of, you know, they're akin to cigarettes, right? Like I've read that article yeah, recently. And so, so, um, I really wanted to come up with a way to make impact and I've been tracking the blockchain, uh, for quite a while, I was the first agency in San Francisco to take Bitcoin as payment. I Interesting. I, I I resurfaced the old blog post to prove it was somebody recently. I was like, no, 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 I put my stake in the ground here.
2: That's so I've awesome. been
0: involved yeah. So I've been involved in the space, but I was one of those who was sort of waiting and watching for it to mature. And then in the last few years it's become apparent to me that that was just not happening and so people like me who are futurists and and see things need to come in and start making the change we want to see in the world and so veritoken represents to me a way for me to make a mark on the world and it is the first time i've been the ceo of a funded company um and that's a pretty that's a pretty yeah that's a pretty exciting thing um you know, to be a funded CEO in Silicon Valley, and it took me till age 40 to do it. But, you know, what we're ultimately trying to do is facilitate the adoption of a particular type of token called a non-fungible token.
2: Okay. And
0: we be- we believe that this is what's going to give power back to people. So the idea is that, you know, we don't want to continue to rely on these big services and just keep handing them their our data while they spy on us. Interesting. It's, time to revi- it's time to revisit what we, what our agreement is about how we want our data to be used because people don't even think they have privacy anymore. And to a large extent, they don't. But that doesn't have to be the way that it is. I refuse to accept that that's how the world has to work.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with you. I'm actually, we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit, but I have some questions for you that I've been selfishly Quite fascinated by this whole space for a number of years now, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into what exactly Veritoken actually does and how do people actually use it.
0: Sure, sure. So we just on April 3rd launched our stable token offering. I'm sorry, secure token offering STO. Yep. And that means that we are now a public company. So, cool. Congrats, of, by the way, that's huge. Oh, thank you. Yes, and I'm the first woman to complete an STO under the 884 standard, which is the new standard, which is particularly exciting because that means that um my token holders are not just token holders; they're also shareholders. Cool. So the 88 the 884 gives a, a lot more power to the people and that's what needed to happen and that's why are so many failed ICOs because people just took the money and ran and they didn't really give much to the people that were giving to them and so this is a sort of different model so the focus has generally been and I've I've only been CEO since January um, but in that time we have filed a patent we actually have another one ready to go we have two demos so what we're working on solving is not the notion of identity on the blockchain we're physically trying to give tools that allow people to embed whatever information they want securely and privately on the blockchain
1: okay so
0: Interesting. so that could be that could be whatever you want it to be it could be a driver's license it could be um your dna it could be a concert ticket it could be you know anything that can be virtual um and so it's it's a lot of education. We, we've been spending a lot of time educating people, educating investors, educating, you know, partners and, and sort of how this technology truly works. And so there's been a lot of that as well. And, and it's interesting to me how many people are interested in it, but really don't know how it works. And that's, that's for good reason, because a lot of people don't know. Um, sure. And, you know, why would you? It's, it's not user friendly at this point in time. And that's something that we're working to try and change.
1: Sure. Yeah. Because, well, as somebody that is a designer by trade that has kind of, well, I would say I'm a terrible developer at best. um, It's hard for even somebody like myself to struggle through some of this stuff. And even some developers have problems with it. And obviously the average person, I think, doesn't even have a chance at it at this point, but I think what you guys are doing, you guys will be able to solve that in a probably a pretty short period of time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a very simplified version of what you guys are doing, but is that fair to say? Um,
2: uh, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> not unfair. <laughs> okay, so how do people actually go about using our technology to do that then?
0: So we have what's called an MVP, which is minimum viable product. Sure. Okay. Um, Which you have to have, you know, that in your white paper, there are certain things you have to have for your public offering. Sure. But I'm going to have to say, quite honestly, that means minimum. (laughs) No, fair enough. So, so right now I would say our second demo we've developed that is not, the patents is not, that paperwork is not completed yet, so my attorneys would be quite mad at me if I talked about it. But um, essentially, we're talking about something that's going to be like a phone app. It's something that would have QR codes that you could scan. It's, it's you know, we want it to be user-friendly as possible. Sure. Um, because I think that's the number one issue crypto is facing right now as a whole. Even just, you know, buying Bitcoin is something that, I typically see people struggle with so um, we're looking to make it as easy as possible wrap it into a mobile app and just you know make it intuitive as humanly possible because otherwise it just doesn't work
1: no very cool yeah no I, I agree I, I think I it is it is challenging and I think what you guys are doing and, and working towards that is very much needed for well everybody technical and non-technical right and everybody in between
0: right so absolutely oh, keep going absolutely sorry. oh no 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 i that, that was just like yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I i very much agree with that point because i i think you know one of my my mottos in life is that when technology is not accessible it is limiting sure so so there are people in this world who are left behind by certain systems certain technologies because they're just not accessible to them and that really stinks and so as technologists we have to be stewards and we have to say okay this is how we're going to help the rest of the world and if we're not doing that i don't know i don't know what we're doing because it's just going to create divides and you know i really hate it when you know older people are left out lower technical you know not as technical people sure. are left out i just don't i just don't think it's fair so so that's really one of my great passions
1: no i, I 100% agree with you cuz it, it's interesting because obviously and i don't know if you want to name names or not or we can name names i i don't have a problem naming names but it, it's interesting to me that the biggest companies in the world basically know so much about you for better or worse um i'm one of the people that I'm fine with certain companies having a lot of information about me, other companies it makes me very uncomfortable, which I know is kind of a weird thing to say, but for example, I love the fact that I give Google more data than probably most people do because of the conveniences that provides me. But I would never give that same data to Facebook, for example. and just because I just don't trust them like I trust Google. And I I know that some people would argue and I have this debate sometimes with other people that maybe they're both evil or they're both not evil. It it doesn't really matter. I've just made that kind of choice, right? Where I know a lot of people are like, well, I I use an iPhone because it's more private and my argument to them as well, like it gets hacked all the time. And and the argument for that as well, it only got the only people with, Um, crappy passwords got hacked so like there it's kind of a rabbit hole that we don't really necessarily want to go down into but I guess my question to you related to that is how does a user ideally choose what data they want to give to what services because I think a lot of people want to cut it down to certain services give more to certain services and, and what's your thoughts around that and how are you guys planning on handling that at Veritoken?
0: Well, so, great question. Um, I think, from my perspective, I think just questioning what information you're being asked for is a really good place to start. Because, you know, like you're at the, the register, you've just bought a shirt at Banana Republic, and they're like, can we have your phone number? Okay. And I always say, why? Why? Okay. I don't care to be, I don't care to be contacted by phone. I'm paying cash. You know, why, why do I need to, why do I need to uh, give this phone number? And oftentimes they'll say, Oh, for rewards or for over oh, whatever, but they don't have a good answer. And sometimes they just say, "We well, I don't know. I don't sure. give it. And so, and so when it comes to being a consumer, you don't have to give all of that information unless you want it. So the way that I, manage who's using and misusing my information is that I skew their data. So I create unique email addresses on the fly for almost every service that I use. Interesting. So, so I've been tracking for years. So I'll give you a great example. South by Southwest is my favorite, favorite conference. It's a blast.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've been
0: going, I've been going since I was, you know, lived in Austin. So it's, it's, I've been going for a long time and it's my festival but when you go to the world some of the top internet marketers, you're going to get marketed to, right? So each yeah. year I, I create a a unique email address and so I can track year over year what the spam looks like um, <laughs> because some, some years are better than others. So there's that level where you don't give out or you have a decoy email address, just one that you give when you sign up for coupons or when you, you know, you're signing a petition or whatever, if you, if you don't have a service that you can create unique ones, you, <clears throat> you just have one default one and don't give everyone your main address. The other thing I like to do is I don't put my real information in social networks.
2: Okay. Some people will
0: say some people, yeah, some people will go, Oh, but you're violating terms of service. Big whoop.
1: Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I don't get
0: I don't give my real birth date to any service unless it is tied to my taxes or the government or a loan application or somewhere where I would be committing a, a something against the law. Like sure. If I'm breaking the law, I'm going to give my real information and I know I'm on a secured site, but anything else, who cares? So That's actually really I, good advice. Cause who, why do you have to build their data set for them? Why? Why do you have to give them your real age? So Facebook thinks I'm 82. (laughs)
2: Okay, (laughs) interesting.
0: I did this years ago because I noticed that they were targeting ads to me at the age I was at the time. This was like 10 years ago. So I shifted my age thinking, okay, we'll see what happens here. Because I was just honestly just tinkering. Sure. And, oh, my gosh, the ads for, like, rash creams and, you know, (laughs) like emergency alerts. I mean, the marketing – it's better now, but oh, my gosh, it was awful, awful <laughs> ads for seniors that were just, <laughs> and, you know, and so it gave me a perspective of sort of how the ads were working. Okay. And so what was interesting is, is a couple months after I made that shift, even though I never put my mailing address in Facebook, um, I started getting Prevention Magazine. and like i started getting uh aarp flyers and it was just like oh my god so it was it's really eye-opening when you make a conscious choice to skew data yeah what they do what they do with it it's really interesting and so i think you have to just challenge the notion from the outset that you you don't have to give them what they're asking for and that alone gives you more power because you're you're not blindly accepting what you're being told.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's actually really interesting. And and I guess my my similar example to that is when my wife and I were expecting our first child. You start getting all this like samples in the mail about you know uh, newborn stuff or da- diaper samples or whatever, right? And you're just like, wow, it's crazy when you don't think about the information that you've posted online and then automatically you start getting this stuff physically in your mailbox which is really quite interesting right and being able to control that or turn that off or is uh i i think a, a really big thing that's coming in in the near future and you guys are building that
0: Right. I mean, it's, it's going to be a very long road and it's going to involve a lot of part, a lot of partners and a lot of, um, education and just, you know, my biggest thing that I'm fighting is not, you know, technology. It's not the marketplace. It's apathy, apathy because consumers are apathetic. You know, they don't trust Facebook, but they don't, they're not leaving it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's <laughs> you know, interesting. The network effect is yeah, the network effect is is all too real and so I would love to say that Mastodon's going to come in and you know, change everybody's world, but the thing is it's not where we are today. Um and so the network effect is that, you know, when there's so many people on a platform, it's hard to get them off and so that's really what they're banking on. Um so fighting against that mindset is really my biggest challenge
1: interesting yeah no i'm curious to get your thoughts on this because it it is fascinating to me that a lot of people know even including non-technical people know about all the craziness that facebook's gone through in the last couple of years i literally tried to quit facebook uh about this time last year and i ended up having to go back to it because there's certain things that you just end up missing out on, whether it's events or group chats in, in WhatsApp. Like I tried to quit like WhatsApp, Instagram, and, and Facebook, just cause I don't really like what they're, they're trying to do. And it was almost impossible to just, you, you miss out on certain things or you, you get the wrong information cause you're not in the group chats. And it sounds kind of stupid thinking about it, but it actually started really affecting my life to the point where you're 30 minutes early for something or you don't go to something and people are like, where were you? And you're like, I don't, what are you talking about? And and so for me that understands and, and doesn't like Facebook and, and the platforms that they own because of the privacy things, it, it's fascinating to me that you talk to somebody like, my father-in-law who posts all the time, loves Facebook, but still knows about all the security stuff that and privacy issues they've been having. They don't seem to care. And clearly most people don't care because their last quarter was in extremely profitable. So what is your thoughts on the industry as a whole, as somebody that's actually building to potentially let people control their data? Like, do people care, they care, and it's just they've accepted? Or, or what are your thoughts around how people actually see these different companies and
0: social networks? I mean, I think most people don't worry about how the internet works. Okay. And it has, it has long been an accepted adage in Silicon Valley that if you are not paying for the product, you are the product. Sure. And, and so I think while people, you know, some people have their own things, like maybe they don't upload a picture with their face in it, or maybe they, you know, there are certain people that <clears throat> won't participate in weird ways, like, you know, in my own weird way with my skewing of the data. Sure, But I ultimately think that until there's an alternative, what is anybody going to be doing? Sure. I mean, what is anybody going to be doing that's not that? Because this is something as addictive, if not more so, than cigarettes. Interesting. And, and and I I read that article. I forget the gentleman who came up with the theory, but it blew my mind because that's what it is. Sure. You know, you you step out. You're on the way to work. Oh, let me check Facebook. Let me check Twitter. Let me yeah. check Instagram. It's like you're looking for that shot of dopamine you get when you see that three more people liked your photo. And so it feels good to get validated. And and so we've gamified our own lives. And so until we can, A, either get over our addiction or B, find a new one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, interesting. No, that's a good way of
0: putting it. yeah Yeah, and so that that's that's really what the shift needs to happen is we have to either get fatigued and decide it's healthier for us i mean there are studies coming out now that are saying people feel less politically polarized when they get off of facebook or they feel less stressed but you know there are certain functions of the service that make it hard to give up such as events and other things right so So it's, it's an interesting time because I do think enough people are mad about it. I think if an alternative that felt reasonable was presented, I think, I think people would go for it, but, but no one's really come up with that yet because it's just so hard to get, you've got half, half the world or more on it. Yeah. You know, people aren't going to, people aren't going to move unless it gives them something they want in a way that they understand.
1: Yeah, I agreed. But what is your thoughts then around, it seems like, to me anyway, social media came out to almost reconnect with people that you knew maybe earlier in life. And now that that's kind of come and gone and you've chatted with the people a few times and you realize, okay, well, this, you know, we haven't talked in 10, 15, 20 years because, well, we just are different people now do you think that we're in a new kind of era of what social media or or Facebook, for example, needs to become and, and move into more business tools or, and that like the personal kind of aspect of some of the social media tools is kind of irrelevant now or, or do you think it's very much relevant and the business side needs to get better? Or what's your thoughts on, The actual landscape of where some of these social media tools are or does it really depend on the actual network
0: i mean i think when technology is doing it right it's helping people stay in touch with loved ones it's you know facilitating conversations that wouldn't have otherwise happened you know that was already happening on the internet before before Facebook, sure. you know, we had my, we had MySpace. Before yeah. MySpace, we had we had messaging. We had AOL Messenger. We yeah. had, you know, all these other ways. I mean, I met my own husband over Telnet.
1: Interesting. So okay, yeah, very cool. A private
0: Tel, yeah, a private Telnet based chat system. So, um, you know, the internet's been connecting people as long as it's been a thing, and so I think when it's when it's done right. You know, you should be able to meet people. Um, But the thing is, there's always that element of trust that needs to come in. And so uh, when you're meeting new people, so I used to accept almost anybody for Facebook requests if they look like a real person. But now if I don't really know them, I don't accept it anymore. Because think about how much personal information you're putting in there. Do you really want some random stranger that you don't even know if it's them? So I think the fear looming into the platform because of all these, you know, bot accounts and there've been some pretty big scams, um, in recent history with spoof accounts. Um, I think people are are a little more leery of discovery, um, on Facebook and that's, that's okay. But that's a technology failing. If you can't trust, right, you're, you're, it's failing.
1: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think, a lot more people are taking that approach, right? That they're kinda of tightening their social media profiles and and whatnot because of that, right? And and I think it's only gonna get potentially harder to connect with not random people, but just people you don't know that well, right?
0: Right. I mean it and also for business mean, it would be cool. And I've seen services like this pop up over the years. There was a really cool and I forget what it was called where you could schedule lunch with somebody okay. um, dur- during the day. And so I did when I was new here, uh, years ago, there was one of them that popped up. And so it was like, LinkedIn lunch dates, essentially. So you could see you could say, here's who I want to meet. Here's what I'm doing. Um here's what I'm working on and be matched. Interesting. And so, you know, yeah, so it was it the first few were fun but then it got to be like oh, an insurance broker, oh, uh, you know. Uh financial advisor, oh, you know, and they would kind of hide what they were doing and, and so it was like it just became a way to get sold to, but I love that premise. You know, cuz what's the danger in meeting someone for a lunch? And so I got to meet some interesting people that way and deepen my network. And so, you know, social media done right will do that. It it'll, it should accentuate what's happening offline. But the problem is right now as consumers, we've, you know, we're consuming so much on these platforms that it's hurting our real life activities to a point as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think that's actually... Quite fascinating. So I'm curious to know, or to go back to the Veritoken side of things for a little bit and talk about some of the maybe, without getting too too technical, I want to talk about the technology side of what you guys are building and how people could actually leverage that, whether it's personally or in their products or projects is that something you guys are thinking about or working on? Or how does that kind of work?
0: Right. So, yes. So, yes to both. Um, I have made the conscious choice to focus right now more on business to business and end okay. consumers. Um, and the reason is that, that you know, consumer education is something I'm going to leave up to the Samsungs of the world who have just installed sure. a crypto wallet on their on their 10 phones. You know, the new 10s. Yeah. Um. Or all come coming out with a crypto wallet. That was huge. That yeah. was like a big game changer for a lot of people. And so, I'm gonna let the bigger companies go ahead and educate the marketplace while I work on building the plumbing. And and you know somebody had shared this with me. Um. One of our partners actually on a phone, and he said, "It's like everybody in blockchain has a house." But nobody has any plumbing, and <laughs>
1: interesting. Okay. In
0: there, in the, which I thought was a beautiful metaphor totally. for kind of the ICO ICO boom and bust was like, yeah, everybody had a front, but you know who is actually building things. And so we're really focused right now on working with our partners to deploy unique use cases to really test out what what is working here and what isn't. And so. I, I would be lying if I said there was one simple solution to everything. We we've placed multiple bets in different markets. And so each, each implementation right now is a little different, but by focusing on business, then, you know, the consumers will come later on. Um, you know, I, as much as I want to solve their problems right now, I, I need to make money.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah.
0: so I feel like, you know, in 2020, I think we're going to start to get, more on the consumer side getting people um you know really cool usable apps but until until i can prove the use cases that i'm trying to it really doesn't you know it doesn't make sense to market outside sure. um but you know we all pivot quickly here in silicon valley so i could be eating my words <laughs> in a couple <laughs> sure. months, in a couple months. but it's yeah. definitely it's it's in my roadmap yeah no, that makes
1: sense. And I also think, too, the, the thing that you brought up there that people might not have caught on to is like, if you get a bunch of businesses to partner with you, then it's easier for their the business's clients and users to actually decide which data they want to share with that company. It, it, is that a oversimplified version yes. of what we're talking about?
0: No, no, it's not oversimplified at all.
1: Okay. Um,
0: it's not oversimplified at all because again, it's like, you have to get people to buy in
1: yeah, okay, to
0: the con, enough. the, the, the con- well and to buy into the concept of digital assets. Sure. Um, because not everything is a use case for uh blockchain or, sure. you know, I think the thing, a lot of the, you know, more hardcore people make the mistake of doing is acting like it's a, it's a swiss army knife it's not i mean it it can be in some ways but there are certain use cases it's not ideal for like if you're certain types of supply chain if you don't require a trustless network like it it may not be as is is smart to implement so it's it's i don't know i i feel like i'm um i have nothing bad to say about blockchain <laughs> i don't want to imply sure. that but but I think we have to be really clear in educating people about what this can do to enhance your life because right now it's just words to people. They don't they sure. haven't seen it in action.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. And I also think people haven't like I, I guess probably gamers, in my opinion, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that seem to very much obviously understand the digital asset space because they're always buying in game gold or characters or whatever and that stuff is valuable and that's potentially tradable for for other digital things things in the physical world a bit of both maybe a cryptocurrency maybe at some point on a different currency but i think the average person doesn't understand that yeah, do we? Do you agree with that, or what are your thoughts around that?
0: I I would agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> no fair.
1: Yep. I, like, but I think what I'm just I guess trying to get out of today's episode for for the listeners get them thinking about this stuff, right? And actually check out your technology and and kind of follow what you guys end up doing over the next six months to a year because it, it's it's got to be really challenging for somebody like yourself that's basically the first or, or one of the first companies that are actually trying to give people back control of their data and their privacy, right? And I think getting people to think about and understand that they actually have a choice and that they can control it is a weird thing to think about in today's well i'm i guess i just have to give everything online it's like well you don't but i think most people don't see it like that they've just kind of accepted the fact that if they want to use certain things they have to basically give whatever these companies want from them and and that's not always the case and with companies like veritoken you guys are basically saying like well that doesn't have to be the case any of the time at least that's what you're trying to work towards is that fair to say
0: well yeah i mean what we're trying to work towards is a shift in thinking and a shift in power because you know you should be the one profiting off of your own information not not a centralized server yeah not a centralized server um Uh that's collecting all your data and knows scary things about you that that's not how it should be. You know, you should have the ability to say, this is mine, I own it, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to participate in this, you know, this game here where I'm going to get, you know, this many tokens for doing this, or, you know, it's, it's a whole shift in thinking in the way that we interact with the world. And it could take a long time, but it's worth fighting for, because we should own who we are. We should own our names. We should own, we should own, you know, our actions that we're taking. Um, And feeling powerless is the worst way to feel. And that's where a lot of people are right now.
1: Sure. Is there anything other than the things we've talked about in today's episode that you recommend people do online? I, I think the actual thing of creating different email addresses and maybe giving different data that's true or maybe untrue about yourself to to different services, but is there any other advice you give to people out there to at least get them thinking about uh, when they're online?
0: Definitely. Um, a couple of things I always suggest to people are, you know, don't use Facebook, Google, Twitter as a login okay. on a new, a new site or service or an app because then that gives that app carte blanche to view your data from the social networks and track you and follow you across a number of sites. Okay. Um, so that's number one. I know it's a pain, but you got to create it with an email address of your sure. choosing. Um, create the account from scratch so that you're not giving a site access to information that has nothing uh, to do with what you're doing, right? Sure. Um, and then another you know, thing is don't accept a friend request from somebody you're already friends with. Interesting. Um, that's, yeah. That's 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 spoofing. And check with the person. Say, hey, is this you? Because sometimes it's somebody who got locked out, and they just, you know, sure. create a new account. That's that's a handful of times, but majority of times, it's it's a you know a bot or it's a scam. Um, and then the last thing would be whether or not you are in Facebook. If you've closed it, that pixel is following you all around the web. Yeah. So, you know, I like to use different browsers. I would recommend using a a browser that has privacy settings. You can go in secret mode and do certain things if you really want, like Mozilla or Brave. Like these are alternative browsers. I also like Vivaldi. You know, you don't have to use what comes on, you know, installed on your computer. You you sure. can choose a browser, a browser that gives you more privacy options. You can install privacy plugins. Like if you are working for it, you can get there. Sure. So I, I always tell, I always tell people, you know, just make, make yourself conscious of what you're giving away. And then, you know, you can absolutely say no to something if you don't want to do it.
1: No, I, I think that's really good advice, but we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, the agency and Veritoken and the book, if you want to mention that as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I wrote about a rally book a couple of years ago called the SEO Battlefield, which, looking back, should probably have been titled the the Startup Battlefield
2: because
0: <laughs> <laughs> because it's really about you know how to scale a startup, um, and that's available on Amazon. Um, and you know the best way to find me is just search Anbot
2: <laughs> on any
0: major any major service Anbot A N N E B O T. On Twitter or Instagram or any of those, I'm um, um, bought at everything. And then, um, you know, Veritoken is veritoken.io. Uh, but, you know, if you want to find me, I'm all over the internet. So, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> not, that's awesome. not a problem. <laughs> Very
1: cool. <laughs> well, Ann, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our discussion. And I hope we're going to take our power back.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.